Isaiah 40. Never want to miss church on a Sunday night, folks. Precious, precious service on Sunday nights. Isaiah 40. Everybody get notes? Have notes out there? Okay. You better need notes. Got them? Good? Would you do something for me this holiday season? You guys are always so nice to us, and you give us... All sorts of stuff. 
cookies and cakes and pies and gift cards and presents. Would you do this for us this year? Instead of doing that, and I, you may still want to, but please, wouldn't, instead of that, would you look up one of our young staff members who has dedicated their lives to ministry, sometimes thousands of miles from mom and dad and holidays and things like that, and just spoil them. Just choose one of them and love them. And uh, I would appreciate that. We've got enough. <laughs> and uh, I've eaten more cookies than you should eat in a whole lifetime. So, but, but love on them. And think of who they are. And, uh, I'd try to list them, but I don't want to miss any of them. There's, there's a lot of them. Yeah, they've dedicated their lives to serve God. And I love them so much. Isaiah 40, verse number 18. To whom then... Will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver change, chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation, chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things? That bringeth out their hosts by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Tonight we're going to talk about the origin and purpose of the universe in session three in our Worldview series. Father, would you work tonight in these short minutes as we speak your word. I pray that we would speak it plainly, that uh, even the youngest kids in here could have some understanding of what's going on. And, and uh, certainly, we know, and it's confirmed to us again and again and again, that you are God. You alone. There's none else. There is none beside you. There's none that compares to you.
And so I pray that we would claim your strength in our lives this week and wait upon you. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. All right, so we say it in your notes this way as we get started. There's no way to accurately understand your life without grasping the nature of God's creative abilities, choices, and results. So there's no way that you can have an appropriate understanding of who you are if you don't understand some things about what God has done. And that's why a biblical worldview is so essential. And once again, I believe that the people in this room um, would hands down say, I hold to a biblical worldview. And that's definitely what we'd like to hear. But many times that's only in theory. That's only in knowledge. That's only in, well, I go to a church that does this or says this. We're not just talking about that. What we're talking about in this series is actually living a biblical worldview. And there's a big difference. Um, There are people that could tell you today what the catechism was that they learned as a child. Here's the deal. They don't live it. And that could be whatever denomination or religion we're talking about. And, And so when we get into these components of a biblical worldview... These are things that we should be teaching the youngest of our kids, and we should be refreshing in our own minds all the time. Tonight we want to consider first the origin of the universe. The origin of the universe. And yeah, this is a topic that uh, we could go on and on and on about, and I have a, a really big interest in this in my life. I, I love to read um, the apologists of, of yesteryear who have fought for the Word of God and the defense of the Creator of the universe, and I still like to look at their materials, and I, I know that there are a lot of folks in here that are the same way. But tonight we want to start in your notes by saying this, the universe was created by God, who has always existed, and has the power to bring it into existence, as well as to maintain its existence. Right now, here's what the deists believe. Many of our founding fathers um, had a great fear of God and they respected God, but there were several of them who were deists. And what that meant is that they believed that God had the power to make the watch of the world and then he wound it and let it go. Now, here's the problem with that the God who has the power to speak the universe into existence also has the power to hold the universe in existence. And and so we want to look at some scripture on this, and I hope this will just be kind of a refreshment to you tonight as we see these things. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Great passage here. Colossians 1, 15 who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, talking about Jesus Christ. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. 
That means all things still hold together by Him. Now look at Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews is a great book of doctrine. And I would encourage you to read Hebrews at least once a year. And just allow the doctrine to seep into you. Um, year after year after year. You'll never grasp the whole thing, I don't think, till we get to heaven. But there's so much of it in Hebrews that is profound and wonderful for us. And I love to read from the beginning of it. Look at Hebrews 1. 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, now look at this, and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And it's a great passage on deity to explain that the universe was created by God, by Jesus, um, that the power of God is there to make it exist and to continue its existence. Okay, now let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. And let's just highlight some things here. I know you're probably familiar with Genesis record and with what God has to say about it. Yeah, there's so many different ideas and thoughts on the Genesis record. Um, there are biblical creationists who uh, hold to a theory that these are seven 24-hour days. There are uh, biblical creationists who think that these were large uh, seasons, a thousand years for each day. And uh, look, I, I'm not going to get too far into it tonight, but what we'll do is kind of see what the record says for itself. And uh, so Genesis chapter 1. Now we say this here in your notes as we, as we go about this. The appearance of the universe is a product of God's will, power, and words. All of us should marvel at the, created, at the creative genius. It should be creative, sorry. At the creative genius of God in the Genesis record. Okay, so we read at the beginning, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And a time was initiated with, with that first sentence of the Bible. God was already around. But in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, between verse 1 and verse number 2, a lot of things likely happened. I mean, a whole lot of things likely happened. The angels were likely created. Um, and uh, the, Satan, Lucifer, fell from heaven probably during these two verses. And, and we see as verse 2 begins, the earth was without form and void. And we don't know how long that the earth had been without form and void. When geologists and scientists uh, look at canyons now, and, and Mr. Griggs could just lay this all out for us on a whiteboard, I'm sure, but um, they show us the, the fossil record and the geologic ages. And uh, there are parts of fossils and parts of rocks that, that some scientists would say this Rock is four billion years old, right? Now, instead of saying, well, the Bible says that we've only been around for 6,000 years, right? How about this? Why don't you say this? We don't really know how long it was between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. 
We have no idea. It could have easily been a hundred billion years. How long is eternity? Right? God is the God of eternity past. He's the God of the present. He's the God of eternity future. And so, if God let the earth sit around form and void for five billion years, what does that mean? Doesn't mean anything to how we live today. And and so, don't get uh, too bent out of shape if somebody tells you that. Verse number two, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Now look at this. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So the Trinity is already being shown here at the very beginning of Genesis. And and God said, so His words came into play. Uh, So His will was that He created. um, He had the power to do it. And then his words said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Now, here's the end of verse 5 where I think you can go to and say, okay, I practically understand what this means. Okay, I want you to see if you can understand this in your lingo. The evening and the morning were the first day. Does that make sense? The evening and the morning were the first day. And if you've got a watch, it goes around twice a day. Unless it's digital. Right? It goes around twice a day. And and we get time. We get the very essence of how we do everything by what God said there. Now, you could say, well, I think that that was a day age of a thousand years. And, you know, you... I'm fine if you say that. I'm not mad at you. If you're a Christian, we're going to heaven together. And we could talk about it to Jesus down and sit outside our mansions and, you know, sip iced tea and whatever. But um, the, the day-age theory, the only issue I would have at that point is to say, okay, so what you're telling me is that the evening was 500 years long and then the morning was 500 years long and that became the first day. And, and where, do we, where do people get that theory from? They get it from Second uh, Peter where it says a day with the Lord is a thousand years. Okay, so there's a lot of different thoughts on that. But think of this. So God creates everything, the universe. Between Genesis 1 and 1-1 and 1-2, there's a bunch of stuff that we have no idea about. We don't know. We don't know if God made a civilization before. We don't. Now, we probably could go ahead and confirm there are no aliens. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> but I've seen some far-fetched people um, around, so I'm so not sure. Yeah, I know some of you are jabbing your brother or sister right now, but <laughs> there, there's this gap in between 1-1 one, one and 1-2. One, but we, we get to 1-2 and God says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something with the earth now. And his creative genius comes into play. And as you watch, as God begins to add things to his creation. Now on day two, he says, okay, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. And so God makes a sky. And then there's clouds. And you can see on the canvas on day three, as land and sea appear, and plant life is created. And day four, as he throws out the sun and the moon and the stars out of his mouth, as he speaks the words. 
Day five, he moves forward, and we get animal life, and we get birds, and we get fish, and we get tilapia so that we can eat healthy. All of that happened on day five. How many of you don't like fish? Don't like fish. God bless you. God bless you all. <laughs> all right, how many like uh, salmon? You guys like salmon? Ooh, oh, that's good stuff. How many like smoked salmon? Yeah, on chips. Oh, here we go, right there. Okay, we're getting them hungry now. All right, so, so all of this happens. Now, we're going to talk about, in just a little while, the creative genius of God at this point. Did He create anything in those five days, I want you to think through this for a minute, that could choose whether or not they would worship Him? Can water choose whether or not it worships God? Can rocks choose the Bible says even the rocks shall cry out. The trees of the field shall clap their hands. Why? They don't have a choice. They understand whatever, through whatever DNA they've been given, they have a creator. Up to this point, nothing had been created that had a choice whether or not they could worship Him, according to the Genesis record. And then day six comes along. God makes animals. More animals, beasts of the field. And then he makes, we read last week, a man created in his image, with his likeness, with some intellect, with some creative abilities, with some emotions that are like God's. And then God says, yeah, there's still something missing here. It's not good that man should be alone. And he puts Adam into a sleep. He takes a rib, and he makes woman. And, and God kept making things better and better until the end of the sixth day. And look at the end of the sixth day. Go down to the bottom of chapter 1. Verse number 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now, I know that there are creative geniuses in this room. Some of you um, probably do painting or you do some type of artwork or sketching. Or uh, maybe you do uh, animal shapes with your Play-Doh. <laughs> I don't know what you do. Uh, maybe you could put together a car engine with no manual. I mean, you, you just have a creative genius. But here's the thing, a creative genius, it came from God. That process of development came from God. Uh, how many like to cook? You guys like to cook? And you like to make a, a nice gourmet meal? And it, it, Have you ever thought of one dish that you want to make for a meal? And you begin to make that dish, and an hour and a half later, now you have five dishes that you've made? And you had to make one thing to complement the first thing, and then you had to make another thing to complement the second thing, and then you had to think of the fourth thing because you had to have a salad item, right? And then there was the dessert. You have to have the perfect dessert with this. And so you've made the meal. That's creativity that's happening just like God's creativity by His will, by His power, and by His words. That's where we get it from. Okay, let's say next in your notes. We don't have a detailed scientific record of the process of creation. 
If the Bible did not call for a measure of faith, our relationship with God wouldn't work. Here's what scientists say. Until you can tell us what happened at creation, we're not believing it. Right? Now that's like walking into a bakery and saying, until you can tell me how this cake was made, I won't eat it. You'll eat it. I guarantee you'll eat it. You walk into the bakery and you see that frosting dripping, and uh, you see that scrumptious, it's my wife's birthday, we get to have some cake later, and uh, the only problem is I made it, so it's not that good. But you go in and you see something good, you're going to eat it. Uh, you normally, I don't think many of you will walk into a place and say, I need to see the chef, please. Tell me how you made the balsamic vinegar sauce or I'm not eating here. Right? There's a level of trust. You walk into restaurants where you've never met the chef before and you still eat the food. You do, right? And how many of you, every time you go to Burger King, you have to go back in the back and meet all the cooks in the restaurant before you eat there? You just don't eat at Burger King, right? Yeah, how many of you, before you, uh, when you go through the drive-thru at McDonald's, you say, okay, before I order, I need you to show me the picture of the person who's making the french fries. It's not how it works, right? Or when you go to the auto parts place, you say, I want to know how this component was forged, and I want to speak to the manufacturer on the phone before I buy. Nope. You know what there is? There's a measure of faith there. Even in tangible things, there's a measure of faith. I remember years ago, my little sister Amy got food poisoning at the Red Lobster in uh, Hot Springs, Arkansas. And, uh, you know, she never went back. Did you work there then, Andrew? Oh, okay. I say, boy, now we know who it was, because I was just going to say, she never went to the restaurant and said, okay, who in here has been sick? Who in here made me get food poisoning? Who didn't take care of the food the right way? Nope. There's a matter of trust in everything that we do. And your kids go to school, and you know what I bet? I bet you have never gone onto the school grounds to meet every person who's on the grounds before you send them to school. Now, we live in a day and age where there's a lot of kooks out there, and hopefully the school's doing that for you. And There's trust involved, though, right? But how is it that when we come to the very creation of the universe, that we say, until you can show me this, I'm not buying. Well, how about, can I just hit you with one? Why don't you go read one line of DNA code from one of your cells? Go ahead, I dare you. It has three billion characters in just one line. And then in every cell there are enough lines where the lines add up to be 96 billion cells. And you have a whole bunch, they say 75 trillion cells in your body. If your DNA was stretched end to end from one cell, it would go around the earth 26 times. All right, so what is it that we're wanting to know about God? God, how did you make this? Well, 
here's the thing. Have you ever heard the line that says, if I tell you, I have to kill you? I think what God says, if I tell you, you won't understand anyway. You're a human being. Someday you'll get it, but right now you don't get it. And that's why Hebrews 11 is in the Bible. Let's read the first verse. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So the things which are seen are not made of things which do appear. For instance, you're made out of dirt. Right? You're made out of dirt. Now, we don't really like that. Actually, we're made out of mud. We're made out of dirt mixed with water. And we're made out of components of the earth. And God breathed into that the breath of life. And man became a living soul. You say, well, I don't understand how it happened. Well, there's faith involved. Now look at verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, here's what people say. God, if you would just give us proof that we would believe. Do you know the Israelites walked through the wilderness? They crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. God provided them water out of a rock, a boulder. God gave them so much quail to eat within 30 days that it was coming out their nostrils. They had a pillar of cloud that followed them and led them in a pillar of fire that was there by night. God worked miracle after miracle, and yet they didn't believe Him. And I would submit to you this. We don't need more proof. We need more faith. We need to trust in the Creator of the universe for what He's done. Next one. It takes more faith to believe we're here by chance than it does to believe we have a creator. But faith in a false hope is totally useless. It really does take more faith to believe that you came from a single-celled amoeba that evolved over billions of years. Um, I could tell you one of the primary reasons why it takes more faith. All I'd have to do is ask one simple question. Where did the amoeba come from? Where did the amoeba come from? The single-celled amoeba that all of a sudden grew legs and plopped out on land, and then he decided to grow a beak and grow feathers and fly and went up in a tree and grew tail, and billions billions of years later he grew a brain that somehow formed intellect and a creative genius and emotion and became a man, even though none of those links have ever been found in the fossil record, not even remotely. Where did the amoeba come from? Well, he was a particle from the Big Bang. Well, where did the Big Bang come from? Well, we think that an alien dropped off explosive gas in our universe. Where did the alien come from? 
See, we always have to begin with an uncaused cause, don't we? We always do. And once again, this is the people of faith, so I know you get this. It takes more faith to think the other stuff than it does to think there's a creator. Right? When I walk in the house and there are fresh made cookies on the counter, I don't say, honey, did the dog by accident throw some things together in a bowl and drop it in the oven again? That'd be far-fetched. Evolution's much more far-fetched than that. And, and yet, people buy into it. They say, well, this is what we think happened. And, and look, God, i got to tell you, God is at the very basis of the origin of the universe. Isaiah 45, look at verse 6. That they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. Now this is not sinful evil. This is the fact of sorrow or wretchedness, afflictions in people who will not follow Him. And there is none else. I, the Lord, do all these things. And so here God is. And He's made it all. And uh, we're down here trying to tell Him what we do and don't believe. And if He'd just give us this, we'd figure this out. So consider the origin. But then also consider the purpose of the universe. Consider the purpose of the universe. A universe that exists by design but without a purpose makes no sense. Okay, so there's no, it makes no sense to have a design but to have no purpose. We can quickly discern that God has a reason for everything that He does. Ecclesiastes 3 says He has made everything beautiful in His time. And it goes through and it lists out what all the different time components are in our daily lives. And they have a purpose. Next thing, the Scriptures tell us exactly why God created the universe. It's this simple. He did it because He wanted to. He did it because He wanted to. Revelation 4.11, Thou art worthy, O Lord. Let's look at it. To receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things. And for Thy pleasure they are and were created. So God made the universe and you because He wanted to. He wanted to. Okay, we already discussed this a, lo- a little bit. Um, the trees of the field, the plants, the squirrels, the dogs, the cats, especially the cats. Have you ever grabbed a cat and just grabbed it by the cheeks and say, Cat, don't you understand you have a creator? And what does the cat say? Meow. Right? He hits you on the side of the head. Or he wants more friskies. Or, I mean, he doesn't have the faintest clue you're talking about. You walk out to a tree branch and grab it and bend it and say, You have a creator, tree branch. Yeah, he doesn't get it. He missed it. Okay, so there's something different about us as human beings. It is humans alone that grasp the sophistication of God's creation. Now, we don't grasp it all, but we grasp a little bit of it. All other beings are simply part of creation. God allows us understanding for one reason, so that we can worship Him. 
It's the only reason why he allows us to understand. Psalm 95. You are on planet earth to worship and glorify God. That's why you're here. And if you're not doing that, you have missed your calling. You have missed your purpose in life. Psalm 95. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise in the name of Psalm. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. Strength the hills is his also. The sea is his and he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And so here we have this thought that God made man to worship him. He made man just to worship him. And that's why we get some of the sophistication. That's why it says in Romans 1 that the things that have been revealed are in us. They're inside of us. They're evident to us that we have a creator. And God has showed us those things. Okay, check this out. Next one. As participants in God's eternal plan, we can either acknowledge his vast sovereignty or we can fight his purposes and pay the price. Matthew chapter 6. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus talking. We can either realize why God made us, or we can fight it. This is the beginning of what some people call the Lord's Prayer. After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's about what His will is. And we're participants in His creation. We're just part of the symphony. We're, we're just part of the ones who are, who are there. And uh, God is the conductor. He's the creator. He's the one who put it all together. And uh, so if we fight against His will, we'll never have peace. Look at Romans 1 as we finish up. Romans chapter 1. Been there a lot in the series. Great chapter on worldviews. If, um, if you're ever curious about a biblical worldview, Romans 1 lays it out. I mean, it's just right there. It just tells you what the components are of what you should believe. And it also hits uh, all the stages of what's not a world, biblical worldview. Look at Romans 1 and verse 25. Does this not describe the world we live in today? Who changed the truth of God into a lie? And worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Uh, that, to me, that describes American culture in 2013 so perfectly. Uh, we see it from our political system. We see it from entertainment systems. We see it from our education systems. We see it from every component of our culture that the truth of God are trying to change it into a lie, and they're worshiping and serving creatures instead of the Creator. There is no politician on planet Earth who's ever going to save the day. It's just not going to happen. There is no celebrity who's ever going to do anything that's really worthwhile on an eternal scheme, uh, unless, it's, unless that person is tied to God. Uh, look what we say as we close. 
We live in a world that spends large amounts of time and resources to follow superstars. Uh, we live in a world that, please don't miss the sentence, that spends large amounts of time and resources to follow superstars. How much more does God deserve? It's akin to a person walking into a clothing store and bowing down to the clothes and totally ignoring the designer. And that's, that's what it's like. It's like a person walking into a place where there are products and bowing down to the products and saying, I worship you, you're beautiful, you're wonderful. When the person who made the products is standing right there. Um, and, and God has such a bigger plan for us. But sometimes we don't get it because we serve the creature more than the creator. You know who the creature is that we serve a lot? This one. This one. And we spend a lot of time and resources and money and effort on this one. And God wants us to spend a lot more time on Him. Uh, what if we just decided, you know what, I'm going to spend time praying to God every day. That would be a huge decision. What if we really said, and we meant it, and we actually did it, said, I'm going to get into God's Word every day. I, I'm going to get in there and find out what my Creator has to say. But for so many of us, there are things that are more important that don't deal with the Creator, they deal with creatures. Creatures on the earth. And we worship. We get so involved in it. It's such a big deal for us. And, and so tonight, the application of, of the origin and the purpose of the universe is this. If you're not worshiping the Creator, you don't really have a biblical worldview. Yeah, you may have one in theory. You may have a couple of verses you can point to or something you learned in Sunday school that you could spout. But if you're not daily worshiping your Creator, you don't truly have a biblical worldview. And I'm not trying to make, give that to you as bad news. I'm giving that to you as truth and love tonight. Now, we really need to focus on this. And, you know, it's just not a bad thing ever to bow on your face before God. It's just not a bad thing ever to do that. And so I hope you'll get that. We'll move on. We've got four more weeks in the series. Looking forward to it. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed in the closing word. Yeah, let's all go home and eat some corned beef hash. What do you think, huh? That was last week? Go, go home and eat some birthday cake and scrambled eggs. <laughs> we'll do something. We'll get it all figured out. Hey, yeah. Yeah, we've got uh, service groups tonight. If you are in uh, the outreach group, just come down just for one quick second. Just so Brother Andrew can tell you what's going on. Uh, about our outreach groups this coming week. And then, yeah, check in with your service group tonight. And I hope you have a tremendous week. And I'd love to see you back Tuesday night at 7. We, we're going to have a special Thanksgiving service. And I know you'll be glad that you came. Father, thank you that your word is given to us so that we can know enough about you to believe. So we can say, He's our God. He's, your, he's our Creator. 
Come, let us worship and bow down and kneel to God our Maker. And I pray that this week we would bow our hearts before you. That we would take stock of our lives in the places where we're worshiping creation instead of creator. Sometimes where we're even worshiping ourselves. I pray that you would help us to get our perspective in place for eternity. Thank you for the boys and girls in this room that they're growing up in homes where the Bible is being taught. I pray that you protect every person as they leave tonight. We ask you in Jesus' name, amen.